Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to 929. I'm your host, Ishan Akbar, bringing you the award-winning podcast from Fiverr.com. Fiverr is the freelance marketplace where you can find all the talent you need in one place. Do you have 10 minutes to listen to a super inspiring lesson from a been there, done that expert? You do? That's good, as this will only take 9 minutes and 29 seconds. This week, I'm joined by an economist and author who knows all there is to know about the money side of the music industry. He was chief economist at Spotify and has written regular reports about how much the UK music industry is worth. He's just written a book called Tarzan Economics, Eight Principles in Pivoting Through Disruption, which teaches you how to change your approach to the fundamentals in different business environments. He is Will Page, and he's here to tell us how to capture your audience's attention. For those who might be uninitiated to you and what you do, tell us about your role at Spotify and how that led you to write your book, Tarzan Economics. So my role in Spotify can be summarized in five words. Have a rocking good time. That is, I was the only <laughs> economist in the company. In fact, the only economist in the music business for the best part of 15 years since moving to London. What led me to writing the book was just this big realization is why music matters, not just to people in the music business, but to everyone. And the reason it matters to everyone is because it got there first. If we go back to 1999, before the millennium, we woke up to Napster, or in Europe, Winamp, online piracy, which upended the business. Just very quickly think about just how much disruption we saw in that period. Copyright, the word copyright, stands for the right to control copying. What do you do when you've lost that right to control copying? And what we went through was essentially our first to suffer, first to recover journey through disruption. So if you think about the first 10 years of this two-decade journey of disruption, we spent that fighting change, suing consumers, suing websites, suing ISPs, internet service providers. Mm. The second 10 years, we let go of the old vine and reached out to the new vine of streaming. And we've now seen a recovery that's to the envy of everyone else. And what I want to do with the book and with this journey that I've been on is help everyone else deal with their Napster moment. We're all staring at our Napster moment post-pandemic. And how do we you know, avoid the suffering and get straight to the recovering? Is there a difference between knowing your audience and capturing your audience's attention? There is. And it's a really important point that I think music learned first, and we're all learning now, which is you're letting go of a business of transactions, you know, mm. back in the 90s, we would sell CDs. And it's kind of funny to reflect on this. Um, <laughs> we'd sell CDs by the weight of pallet. So I'd right. turn to you and say, hey, I've got a pallet of CDs here. How much are you going to give me for it? Your first question was not what's on the pallet of CDs. It was how much did it weigh? Right. Well, about 30, 35 kilos. Great, I'll give you this much. Shania Twain, Texas, it doesn't matter. It's all going to sell. So we actually sold CDs by the weight of pallet. Now, how much data analytics is in the weight of pallet? What we woke up to in 2009 when Spotify got going was consumption analytics. And this is really important for your listeners, not how goods are sold, but how are goods consumed. Right. So let's 
take this lesson from music, leaving transactional data behind and embracing a consumption world and think about where else it could apply. Now, let's imagine that you're the chancellor of the exchequer and you're presented with some car sales data. And that car sales data tells you that we've sold, transacted 5% more cars this quarter compared to, let's say, this quarter last year. Now, that might tell you car sales are up, but it's not telling you how cars are being used. A far more pertinent question to ask is, how are those cars being used? Are we seeing more cars being sold, but less than being used for less time, for more commercial purposes? And that's very important when you think how government thinks today. They're completely surrounded by transactional data. As an economist in the music business and having written a book, you've learned ways to capture your audience. Have you seen the music industry itself changing the way it tries to capture an audience? Yes, not just the music industry, but the songwriters who write the songs, which are the foundation of our business. Mm. What we've seen happen in music is two things which I think will illuminate your audience. The first observation that we've seen with streaming is that songs are getting shorter. In fact, I mean, songs in the 70s and 80s could be up to four minutes, maybe even five minutes long, and 90s shorter. Now we're looking at songs fading out after two minutes and 30 seconds. The majority of hits today are done and dusted after two minutes and 30 seconds. So songs are getting shorter, which is interesting. But there's something else happening too, which is that the choruses are being moved to the front. So rather than have a conventional song structure of you know, guitar introduction, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, chorus, fade, mm. we shove the chorus right at the front of the song. So songs are getting shorter, choruses being moved to the front. And that sounds strange, right? But it's actually quite rational when you're that one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind economist because it's the business is affecting the show as opposed to the show affecting the business. Firstly, how does streaming work? So streaming works when you get played for more than 30 seconds you get paid that is if you skip you know mm. a song after 15 seconds there's no royalty passed on to the writer so you need full attention from the get-go hence shove the chorus to the front mm. secondly you don't get paid a penny more for lasting a second more so what's the incentive to write a longer song and um, if you think about Lil Nas X Old Town Road that was fading out after two minutes and eight seconds so that would be a classic millennial hit in today's market Right. Let's go back a few decades. The band U2, one of my favorites, one of my favorite songs in the band U2 is Where the Streets Have No Name. If you listen to that song, you don't hear Bono's voice for two minutes and eight seconds. Right. Now, let me ask you and your listeners, how many millennials today would bother to listen to a track that takes two minutes and eight seconds before the vocals come in? Right. People don't have the attention spans for that yeah. type of song structure anymore. Thinking about you, Will Page, and your week. What are the three most important tasks of your week coming up? I always start my week with, well, I'm very, very influenced by Kevin Sistrin, the founder of Instagram, where he talks about problems and he's solving. So every week I think, what problems need solving? Part one, solve them, part two, and don't deviate, part three. Mm. And something that I'm always trying to get better with myself here is sequencing. How do you sequence those problems and you solving? You come into the office on a Monday morning and there's 13 fires need to be put out. You know, which one do you put out first to make the next 12 easier? So my brain works in a problem-solving kind of mentality. Does that ever grate on you sometimes, where you wake up in a week and you think, gosh, this is another problem after another problem? No, because solving problems is what an economist is paid to do. Mm. Uh, I think back to when our CFO, Barry McCarthy, came into the company, he had previous CFO of Netflix. I remember he said, you're my chief economist. Yes, I understand that. And you know what your job description is? No, I don't know that yet. He said, your job is to help me see around corners. You know, what's the problem that's around the corner that I can't currently see and solve that? And is that how you know that you're doing it right? The more things you prevent, 
the more you get a sense of, I'm doing this properly. Yeah, I think as keeping it street level, you could have two people in a comms team. One person has to put out great quarterly earnings results. Hey, Luke, I got 25 big you know, broadsheet articles about these quarterly earnings. The other person has prevent bad stories from being written about the company. And how do you prevent that? It's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm fascinated with the organizational psychology. It's how do we work as companies? It's something your podcast tops into quite a lot, but just... You know, how do you capture the people who prevent things as opposed to just the people who achieve this quantification bias? What would you tell your younger self when you look back? What would you be telling 18, 24-year-old Will? Drink less, study more, (laughs) drink a lot less, party a lot less, try and study a little bit more. I think just, you know, don't wait for your job description created. Do not look at the job adverts that are out there today and whatever messaging boards or websites you're using and think for a minute that company knows what they actually need. Mm. Look at the company and think this company has no clue what they're needing. They're, they're building out a team which is not required. They're hiring roles which are not needed. There's duplication everywhere. What would you bring to the business without looking at a job description? So a great job interview tactic might be to not read the job description. Like just... <laughs> Think about yourself and what would you bring and convince yourself that you know what that company needs more than they do themselves. And there's a very good chance you might be proved right. Well, Will, thank you so much for your time on 929. A very fascinating chat. Thank you so much. And uh, just to pass some praise onto your podcast, um, I always like to tell the joke in my book of uh, what's the best way to keep a secret, to put it in the second half of a podcast. (laughs) But thanks to the structure of your show, I I don't think that joke applies. So congratulations to all your work. Thank you very much indeed. Will is a very knowledgeable and insightful guest. What was clear is he was passionate about knowing the difference between who your audience is and what they're doing. Understanding this very specific thing will help elevate your pursuit, whether it's business or something else, to the next level. 929 is a part of the Fiverr family, and Fiverr is a digital marketplace for freelancers. Thank you so much for listening, and please do leave us a review. I'll see you again soon. All the best. Bye-bye. 